And he, that is Jesus, said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though you will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the ministry that they are, for the elders that lead them to your word and hold them to it faithfully. Lord, I thank you for your people, the saints here that hear your word and say yes and amen and obey it. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word tonight that we would answer it as sheep that hear your voice and delight to hear it. So Lord, just provoke your spirit in us to apply these things that we see in your word. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. So when I was around the ages of 10 to 15, uh, it would not be an abnormal summer night for me, my brother, and my neighbor to go around our neighborhood ding-dong ditching our neighbors. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with what that is, You go up to someone's door and you either bang on the door as hard as you can or you hit their doorbell as many times as you can and then run and hide behind a bush or a tree awaiting their reaction. And I remember a time that we did this and nobody answered the door. But we were sure that somebody was there. So sure enough, we waited to make sure they weren't going to come. And then we went up again and continued to knock. And eventually... They came. We were persistent to get a reaction from them. And although me and my brother and my neighbor were doing this out of sheer enjoyment for ourselves and annoyance to them, our Lord asks us to be persistent as we come before him, to come before him shamelessly asking for all that we need. And I think as we look at this passage tonight, we will get that we ought to pray with shameless audacity. As we look prior to verse 5, where I'll be starting, we see that the Lord is teaching his disciples how to pray. He's been asked, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So sure enough, Jesus lays out what we would call the Lord's Prayer. But then he continues in verse 5, and he gives a parable that really pulls at the heartstrings of the disciples. And it may be an experience that they've had before. 
of going before a neighbor and asking for something. But sure enough, what we see is that Christ is trying to make his point clear by sharing this parable. If there's any hesitancy that the disciples have to draw near to their heavenly father, Jesus wants to make it very clear that they can draw near without any hesitation. I'm sure we all have faulty, worldly examples of when we've gone for help and it hasn't been what we've needed or expected. Or maybe a father figure that wasn't as he ought to be. And I think here Jesus perfectly uh, expels those notions to give us an idea and a picture of a perfect heavenly father. If you were to sit Jesus down and say, I'm struggling with how to pray, how should I do this? This is exactly what he would say to you. And so be encouraged. Just as he said this to his disciples, we are his disciples today, trying to follow his words. So through this, we can grow this evening. So I want to break this passage down into three movements that I believe we see happening. The first is the impudent neighbor. That's verses 5 through 8. And then we see the impudent believer, verses 9 through 10. And then the better father, which will be through the end. So let's begin by looking at the impudent neighbor, and I will reread these verses for us. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs." We see initially that this is a very audacious ask for the man in the parable to make toward his neighbor. It's an ask that would probably have us looking with some sort of shockedness at the audacity that he comes to his neighbor with. It also shows the heart of man and his reluctance to help somebody in need at a time that is inconvenient for himself. It shows us that friendship means nothing in this case, but it is solely the shameless audacity that moves this neighbor to act. What we see initially is the time of the ask. We see that it's midnight. This man has laid down to rest, I'm sure after a hard day's work. We see that all his kids are asleep and the door is locked. And he's awoken from his slumber to a constant knocking on his door. And sure enough, he gets up and he says, do not bother me. It's an insane time of night. But the man doesn't stop. His need is so great that he continues to knock despite the inconvenience of the time that he goes to his neighbor. In this time, the way the houses were structured, it's likely that the neighbor would have to most likely disrupt his whole family to go down and get bread and give it to his friend. But again, the need was so great that the man did not stop knocking and persisting for the bread. He really needed this. 
in verse 8, we see the chiastic structure of the parable. This is where we see a thought be destroyed on one side, and then we see it being built up on the other side. In verse 8, it would look something like this. Even if he will not give to him and not get up because of his friendship, yet because of shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give to him everything he needs. And so we could see yet as the peak here, where we see causation going in both ways. Him being a friend is not what's going to cause him to give, but it's the shameless audacity that's the cause to the effect of giving the bread. Now you might be wondering why I said shameless audacity. If you're reading the ESV, it says impudence, and some other translations will translate it differently. But what this word is getting at is it's anti-shame. So it's the same way we would use a word like atypical or abnormal. It's a way of saying this thing is typical, not. Or this thing is normal, not. You're negating the word. And so this word is anti-shame. And then also implies some sort of excessive persisting. And so I think for the sake of that shameless audacity in our current language might be the best way to put that. But what we see in this chiasm, again, is that the friendship is not what moved the man. But it was only the shameless audacity that moved him to give. I mean, no, no man who wakes up in, at midnight and disrupted by knocking is going to be thinking in his right mind. He likely just wants the noise to stop. He wants to get back to bed, get his full night's rest, make sure his kids don't wake up, and stay awake for the rest of the night. And so in that moment, he's not going to be thinking, oh, I'm really glad that my friend's here, and he, he did all these nice things for me last week, and mowed my lawn, and watched my cat. He's going to be thinking, get away. But sure enough, he wants the sound to stop. And so he gives because of the shameless audacity. And this is the imperfect example that Christ gives of how humans who inherently have evil hearts, even they will give when they see somebody pleading shamelessly for something. So Jesus giving this example points to his disciples and tells them to mimic it. The NIV in verse 9 puts it, So I say to you, He's correlating the example in the first verses for how the disciples ought to act. He's giving a situation that's probably very relatable for them and saying, this is how I want you guys to be seen in front of your heavenly Father. So let's move to the second movement here, which is the impudent believer. Verses 9 through 10. He says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. This section perfectly describes or answers the question, how does a believer pray with shameless audacity? We've talked about it, but how do we actually do it? Now, many books are written on this topic, and I'm sure you could talk about it for hours. 
But right here we see that Jesus is outlining the rubric for how we as believers do that. The interesting thing is that each one of these verbs, ask, seek, and knock, are given in the imperative form. So they're not suggestions that Christ is giving to his disciples. He's not saying it would be good if you asked. And while you're at it, you might as well seek. And actually at the end of that, just knock as well. But it's the same emphasis you would give to a child who's reaching his hand up to a burning stove. And you'd say, stop. Imperatively. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. So we as disciples ought to do this likewise. I think William Hendrickson in his commentary on this passage does a great job of explaining how these three things all work together. They are not three separate things that we can push into different parts of our lives, but they all build on one another. Now he uses the example of scripture reading, but I think he still gets the point across of how these things are so unified. Hendrickson, when he uses the example of scripture reading, says, you would first ask the Lord for illumination as you're about to read his word. But it wouldn't be any good if you just sat down thinking about how you prayed for illumination and never actually read his word. And so we seek out his word. We take that action. But it's no good if you seek and read two verses and then think, I'm not feeling anything, I'm done. So that's where the knocking comes in. There's a persistence that we as believers ought to have. Now again, Hendrickson's correlating this to scripture reading, but in this passage we see Christ talking of prayer. But I think still that point of these, all these three things are degrees that build on one another. So let's look at each one as they build upon each other. We see asking, this idea of a request or a petition that's made. And so just as the neighbor asked his friend for bread, we get to go before the Lord and ask him for what we need. We see in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. The key verb in this verse is ask. The whole rest of it really is pertaining to that, that we must ask. We need to ask as believers. Now where the neighbor asked his friend for bread, which is something that's perishing, we get to ask God for something far greater. We also get to ask him for bread. We may need food on the table, and that's a super important thing to pray for. But we may also be praying for a car, a job, a house that goes over our roof, or for health for our families. There's a lot of ways that we ask and petition to our God. Continuing the degree, as we see ask or petition, we see seek, which has this connotation of you know, searching for or a requirement. Seeking is acknowledging this requirement that we have. It's not taking something we think we need and saying, Lord, I really, really think I need this, so if you don't answer me in this way, you must not be God. As we see in scripture, there's really only one thing that we're called to seek. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be added. First Chronicles 16.11 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we seek his kingdom. We seek his righteousness. We seek the Lord and his strength and his presence continually. But that's the one thing we seek is him. It's almost as if a man was hunt or camping and was starving and needed food and he decided to go out hunting for an animal. He's not seeking that animal just for fun in that moment, but it's a requirement of his life to get food and to eat it. And that's why he seeks and searches for. So that idea of desire and requirement as we seek out the Lord, we recognize that it's something that we need and that's why we search for it. Continuing that degree, we have knock, which gives the image of beating against a door with a stick. And the goal of it is to gain admittance. It's this persistence, this continuing action until you get let in. If it's raining outside and you go to your friend's house, you're not banging on the door so that they can open it and you can stand out there and talk with them from outside. The goal is to persistently knock so that you can get inside away from the rain and away from the cold. It's this idea of perseverance until it gets fulfilled. So saints, do we pray like this? Where we ask in petition to the Lord? Where we seek recognizing our need and requirement for him? As well as knocking in perseverance. For just as the neighbor relentlessly knocked at the door of the friend until it was granted, when initially the friend said, do not bother me, we ought to relentlessly knock at the foot of Christ as we plead for the things that we need. In verse 10, we see the universal nature of this command. There are some passages in scripture that are argued, is this only for the disciples or Does this apply to us too? I can say with confidence that this is for everyone who asks and seeks and knocks. And these promises are attached to it, these beautiful promises of the one who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. So be encouraged by those words. Now where the neighbor the man of this parable initially sought somebody who was reluctant to help him. We seek the face of a loving father. And so we've seen the impudent neighbor and we've seen the impudent believer. So now let's take a look at the better father. Verses 11 through 13. And it says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We have the friend in the parable who responds to his friend by saying, do not bother me, and gives a list of excuses for why the friend should go away. Of course, that didn't stop the friend But here we have the mindset of God. 
when we are knocking at his feet, he is not saying, do not bother me. He's not giving the excuse of his children being asleep or the door being knocked, or sorry, the door being locked. But he is asking for us to persistently come before him. And so there's no fear of his response. For he has asked us to come before him in this way. Now what makes him a better father? I think the first thing that we see is that God did all this for us before we ever did. We see these ideas of asking and seeking and knocking. And did Christ not ask for us in the garden of Gethsemane? And did he not seek us as he came down from heaven to take on flesh, to be crucified for our sake, seeking us out, seeking out the requirement that we had because our sin was too great, of which we could not bear? And does he not still knock persistently before the Father on our behalf? I'm reminded of the passage in Luke 22, 31 through 32 where Christ says to Peter that Satan has asked to sift him as wheat. But Christ tells him not to worry because Christ has prayed for him. Christ has asked and sought and knocked for Peter. That is our greatest encouragement, saints, that our Father in heaven has done all these things for us, has provided the way for us, So it's not that we go to a neighbor's house and we're really unsure if they're even going to care about what we have to say, but that we go to a father who we know is unbothered by our requests. Another way we see God continually fighting for us is through the convictions that we feel on our heart. Every time we feel that we've done something wrong when we've lied or gossiped, or just treated somebody wrongly, and we feel that aching in our heart, it shows that the Spirit is not willing to let us go. That the work that Christ has continued in us, He will continue till completion. Now, of course, when we feel that conviction, we do not leave it there. Go and make it right to the best of our ability. But be encouraged that the Spirit is fighting for your heart. And Satan has no match over the Spirit. How else do we see God and how he is a better father? Especially when we are praying and perhaps we don't see the fruits of our prayers. When we come before him and we know that he's a better father but continually time after time we feel that we've been ignored. Well, there's a great encouragement here as well for us as believers. God does tell us that whatever we ask will be granted to us. But he also says that we do not receive because we ask with wrong motives. We see this in James 4.3. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's as if a child went to his father and asked his father if he could have chocolate for every meal of the week. It would not be loving for the father to say yes. Said the father would say no. You're going to enjoy the home-cooked meals that we're going to have every evening because you know that's healthier for him. 
It is not out of hatred that you say no, but because of a deep love inside of your heart. It's the great reformer, John Calvin, that said this, we must not think that God takes no notice of us when he does not answer our wishes, for he has a right to distinguish what we actually need. Sometimes in our, what we see as a lack of response from God, it's actually a great grace of his protection for us. For Some of the things that we've asked are things that we don't really want, although we may think we do. And so sometimes in that, there's a great grace of God to say no. And yet, even sometimes, it's a not yet. Sometimes it's something that he wants us to wait for him on. That through our waiting, it's something that will further grow us as believers. I'm reminded of one of my favorite hymns called Sovereign Over Us. In the first verse, it has these lines in it. It says, you are working in our waiting. You are sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, you are teaching us to trust. And the chorus begins like this. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. So keep asking, saints. His lack of response is not because he is like the neighbor in the parable who says, do not bother me. But instead it's as a loving father protecting and growing his children that they would be perfectly finished in the image of his son. And maybe you're still not convinced on how a good father could withhold things from us and still be a better father. Well, the gift here is in the last verse where we see the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that God is a good father? How do we know that he will give us good gifts when I don't see it in my own life? Because he's already given the best gift to all those who believe in him. For if he will sure enough give the Holy Spirit to all those who ask, then what greater gift is there? Now it's not to say that we don't ask and pray for more things on top of that for health or for a house or to give all of our cares and anxieties on him because he has asked us to do that. But when we feel that he is unresponsive to our prayers, look to the gift of the Holy Spirit. He has not withheld that gift from you. The greatest gift, the adoption into the life of the Trinity. So you are not bothering your father when you ask him for more things. He's already delighted to give you his spirit. So saints, we get to pray with shameless audacity to God because we see that it works in the life of the man in the parable, that it compels his friend to give. We pray with shameless audacity because we're commanded to do it by our Lord to ask with impudence, to come before him asking and seeking and knocking. And saints, we pray with shameless audacity because we have a better father who delights to give us all sorts of good gifts and who wants us to come before him. And so ask and seek and knock. Petition and 
acknowledge your requirement for him as you seek him and beat against the door continually with perseverance, knocking. Do all these things because he has asked us to. Because he's a great father who desires to hear from us. Let's pray.